Welcome back to What Do You Want to Watch, the show hosted by myself, Nathan English, and David Dirks. And we're going to be talking about the epic straight-to-Netflix movie, All Quiet on the Western Front, a remake of the 1930 classic that David and I have both recently seen. And going off that, we'll be talking about great movies that make us feel bad, because uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is not a joyful watch, but it's a very good one. We're going to be breaking all that down and more on this movie-centric episode. So, listen to it. Breaking it down. Thanks, David, for the worst ad lib anybody has ever said ever on the history of a podcast. Uh, Up next. (laughs) Uh, Now, what did I say up next? I don't know. David's got me off my game. All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, movie just came out, 2022 release. Uh, as we mentioned, straight to Netflix. It has already been submitted for the best international feature, the Germany submission. Uh, the way that works at the Oscars is each country gets to pick one work essentially and submit it. Germany has submitted this. Um, it looks like this is going to be the favorite to win that. All Quiet on the Western Front will also likely be nominated just outright, probably for best picture. Directed by Edward Edward Berger, um, it is about it. It is the same as the 1930 original. It is about a group of young Germans uh, who are sent off to fight on the Western Front in World War One. Uh, we see mostly through the eyes of Paul and his friends Albert and Moeller. Um, and yeah, this movie is brutal. Um, I watched it. Uh, shortly after it premiered on Netflix, which I think has been almost a month now, maybe a little less. I, I watched it right at the beginning of November. And man, it was tough. Um, it's so, it's a beautiful movie. Um, the sound design is fantastic in it, specifically, uh, especially the score. I really enjoyed. But it's just... It just breaks your heart. This is a movie that over and over again just makes you sad. David, without spoiling everything that happens, um, what what are you going to take away from this film? What are you going to remember most? I think, well, first and foremost, which I messaged you uh, this, the score was just impeccable. There are a couple TV shows and movies uh, that the score is done where it's like good enough, you want to add it to a playlist. And this was one of them. Like I added to my like movie scores playlist on Spotify because it was just so good. Uh, and I thought it was just so well-timed. Uh, I love that. Um, something else that I really, really liked. An underrated trait of a director, I think, is timing. Great, great directors have really good timing in their films. And newer ones mm-hmm. or not as talented ones tend to rush things or spend too much time on them. And I thought in this movie, it was just perfect, in my opinion. The shots, the time he spent on um, each scene, I didn't feel like it was rushed. Um, we sat on there, you know, whether it was just a scene of nature or in the trenches, but also it didn't seem like it was too long where I got distracted or got bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those two things I, I just really fell in love with um, mm-hmm. and really, really loved it a lot. I think, I think what I what I what I thought um, I knew where this movie was going. Um, I don't. I haven't. I've seen parts of the original for history class. Haven't seen the whole thing in its entirety. 
Um, but I knew it's a World War One movie. It's going to be about how awful war is. Um, and World War One, for people that don't don't know a lot about um, history, and I don't purport to know a whole lot about World War One specifically, but it's one of the most brutal wars ever fought. Not only because of its scale, right? It's the first World War. It's the largest war to its point in history, but because tactics had not caught up to technology. Um, mm. So this was fought trench warfare style. Uh, but this was the first war in which tanks and machine guns were used and, and mm. flamethrowers and also shotguns and mustard gas. All of these things are not there. Some of them are weapons that are just flat out now illegal in war, um, like shotguns and flamethrowers. Uh, but they, there was just they did not catch up. So millions of people died for inches upon inches of territory. Essentially yeah. what happened, they would line up two trenches across a huge, muddy, open field, and they would take turns essentially charging and guys getting mowed down to secure inches, feet of territory that would, they would then lose the next day. Um, mm. So it, it, among all wars, this is one of the most hopeless. And I, I think the movie does a really good job of portraying that. You see at the beginning of this film, it's not really a spoiler, um, Paul lies to go to the front. He's too young. Yeah. He lies about his age, gets his papers signed so he can go and be with his friends. And they're excited. And I think one of the most, the most effective scenes at the beginning is when he's getting his uniform and it's got it like it has, you know, holes in it that have been clearly patched up, but there's another person's name on it. Um, so he takes it back to the guy that handed him the uniform and says, this is someone else's. And the guy just says to him, oh, uh, must have not fit that guy and just rips off the tag and throws it on the ground. And then you, the camera just pants to a pile of tags on the ground. Um, soldiers, yeah. Man, and that's it's just you you like, oh, no, like the, you have a sense of dread in your stomach because, you know, like this is what he's about to go into. And he has no idea because the opening sequence is a battle. Um, and we see where the we essentially see how his uniform gets made. Yeah. Um, it comes off of another dead soldier who looks no older than him. You know, we see how it gets washed and put to him. I don't think there's real dialogue in like the first 15 minutes of this movie. Um, and from there, we just, yeah, we see him change. I think what's going to stick with me is the hopelessness in his eyes. Yeah. Um, just like the blank stare. Uh, the, the actor's name, this is only his second movie, Felix Kammerer. And I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Um. Wow, uh, he was impressive yeah, in this was. film. I think he would des if he got nominated. I would not be surprised. Um. And yeah, this is just this is just it's awful. And there's no there's no real winners. It, it's easy when you watch World War Two movies, you know who the bad guys are, right? It's the Nazis. They're yeah. they're obviously the bad guys in this one. We see it from the German perspective, the people that have been portrayed as the bad guys to us. Um, but the only bad guys that we see are German generals who want to keep the war going. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that's really effective in that you just you, you pull out of the scope of this war and all you're thinking about are the guys pulling the strings behind are the ones that are most angry and the most evil and they're not the ones suffering. What's suffering are the kids that just want to go out and serve their country because they think they're going to get glory because they're 17 and they don't know any better. Yeah. And this movie is just heartbreaking. Well, yeah, it's even like you would think you would want the resolve, like sign the paper and this will stop. 
But then after they do, then you're just hit with the fact of like, man. Now this has all been for nothing. 17 million kids just got killed just for that. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. That's tough, man. And you also have the benefit of history, knowing history, knowing that this decision for Germany to accept this terrible treaty is going to lead directly to another world war. Hmm. So you know that this isn't going to solve anything. Yep. And that the people that suffer are going to keep suffering. The lower class, yeah. the, the people that are going to be, that were used as fodder for machine guns and flamethrowers in this movie will be the same thing. Yeah. David, I want to ask. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say real quick, I just, I, I thought something really cool on the bio of Netflix. It simply said 1917 meets Saving Private Ryan. And I really thought that was such a good way of putting that as far as, man, the in the trenches style movie of 1917, but just the up closeness and the, and the the brutality brutality and how personal it is with saving private ryan like that was a really Mm -hmm. really good i thought comparison in that um yeah it it was very up close and personal and it was was very brutal to watch what Mm -hmm. was your question my question is would you consider this movie a horror movie Mm. i know that's a like oh it was horrifying it's a horror movie but when i was thinking about it the especially I'm thinking about the scene when that we first see the flamethrowers on the battlefield. That was one of the mm-hmm. most like disturbing and scary things I've ever seen on on film. It was or awful. The, the tank. The tanks were also just awful. Um, I think it, like, it's a different genre of horror, but I think so. This like Saving Private Ryan, I would put with that of just maybe Hacksaw Ridge of like this is horrifying to watch. You know what I mean? Like this is it, tough to watch. It just. It's it's something that unsettles you because you know that it happened and you know that it was this bad, yeah. like it, or worse. Like what I saw on, what I saw in the movie was not near as bad as what I probably was actually taking place. And I was still mm. like, I thought about like, I had to pause a couple of times and like walk away, mm. and come back to it again. I think this movie's fantastic and I think everybody should see it, but. Just know what you're going into, you know. Know what you're going into, exactly. But this movie is not easy, and I don't think I'll ever see it again. Mm. But it was it was really good. And it's not something I expected. I didn't remember hearing anything about this before it dropped. And then I started yeah. to see people talk about it, and I was like, what? I, yeah. I guess well, I gotta I watch this. Something that's really hard, too. Like, you see in the opening scene with this of, right, like, as you said, it starts, boom, right in the middle of the, in, in the battle. This we're, we're showing this kid uh right probably 18 19 20 years old uh and he's like it, i mean he he doesn't he wants to fight he he has to fight for his country but also he's like obviously doesn't want to be there and he's terrified but doesn't know what else to do like he's in this hard place that i can't run away because i'll be shot for that but if i you know mm-hmm. advance I'll probably i might be shot for that too. you know it's just like a helpless like you said that like it's like a helpless situation of man i don't I don't know what to tell you because I don't know what I would do either. We talk about that in horror movies. That's how, like, you know, horror movies really good of like, all right, that was just the dumbest decision. I'm not scared because no one would make that decision. But then some mm-hmm. horror movies, you're like, I genuinely don't know what I would do in this situation, and you've made the right steps. That's when it gets scary. And I think you're mm-hmm. right in the sense of, of, of it being horror of like, kid, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I feel for you, and I don't know what I don't know what I would do either. Um, yeah, what do you do when the tank that. is? 
What do you do when the tank is coming at you? Yeah. What do you do? You know, yeah. there's nothing in this movie. There's nothing you can do. It's awful. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I'm not saying like, I mean, Save It Private Ryan is, is probably one of the more iconic horror movies ever made, you know, along with what come and see and full metal jacket up there. Platoon. Those, those big, big dogs. It, it's pretty close to saving private Ryan, just the style. And even I'd say the quality, it's just like, it's yeah, it was good. Very well done. Also, Watch this in German and read the t- subtitles. The German yes. actors do such a good job, and the English voiceovers will not be as good, or they won't match up with the words. So yeah, watch this for yeah. sure in German. And there's not this is not a dialogue heavy movie. It's not going. No. You're not going to be reading a lot. There's a lot of long shots without dialogue. There's obviously battle scenes where you can tell they're saying charge or stuff, but then mm-hmm. you wouldn't even need the subtitles. But it, yeah, this is watch this movie in the original German. I'm always pro subbed and not dubbed. I think dub movies are just uncomfortable mm-hmm. because the voice actors that they hire for them are normally not as high quality and the, the movements just never match up and it takes me out of the film. So yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah, I think we'll both heavily recommend this, uh, but watch at your own risk really seriously consider if you i don't even know if enjoy is the right word um but if you appreciated the viewing experience of a movie like saving private ryan or full metal jacket or platoon check this out if those are the kind of things that you don't really like to see not even like but not the kind of movies you gravitate towards i would probably steer clear of this it's not 1917 1917 is much more of a hollywood you know, it, not to say there's not, you know, hardships in that movie or stuff, but that's much more stylized than this. This is grounded and brutal. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So um, where I want to ask you now with uh, war movies, this this you may judge them differently. Where does this sit on like your top lists of all time? Because this was an incredibly high quality movie and you gave it a very high rating. You mean of war movies in general or just no, movies I mean like in your general? All-time, of your all-time, like all-time lists. I don't think it's cracking the top 50. What, what I will tell you right now is as, I make, as I've made my lists, it is the fifth highest rated movie I have released this year, which may not sound like a lot, but the movies in front of it are Tar, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is a movie I really enjoyed, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and then Top Gun Maverick. Um. Mm. And that might just be like All Quiet on the Western Front is honestly probably a better movie than Cha Cha Real Smooth and Everything Everywhere All at Once. But it, there's a, a personal enjoyment factor that goes into these rankings that I did not enjoy this movie, but mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing and I didn't like it at all. Yeah. You know, I, that's it's this, a weird this dichotomy might be my, there. This might be my favorite movie of the year. I think Top Gun might still be ahead of it. Um but it was just so good. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely tough to watch, but I was just in awe of like the, the cinematography and the score and yeah, the, the performances, it was just very, very well done. Um, but yeah, tough to watch. It's, you gotta be careful. Mm-hmm. I don't agree. Um, all right. Now on to not lighter conversation. Uh, so inspired by this, we we decided to each pick three great movies, movies that we would classify as great, good to great, that make us feel bad, that have the same sort of, this is a good movie, but at the end of this, I'm not, I, I don't, it's not joyful. 
um, if that makes sense. David, hit me with your first pick. What do you got? Uh, first one I'm going to do, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, yeah. Older, older movie starring Jack Nicholson, uh, 1975, uh, directed by Milos Forman. Uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, if you, any of you fans of that director. Uh, Jack Nicholson uh, starring him and Louise Fletcher, uh, Danny DeVito. Yeah. Oh, also, this obviously is going to be spoilers because if these are making us feel bad, we obviously. I think everybody kind of. So. I think everybody kind of knows what what happens yeah. in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest at this point. That's fair. But yeah, he he uh, gets uh, you know put into a state mental hospital, uh, and for most of the movie, he's he's working to get out. Right, he believes he can get out of this, um, and you know acts acts good enough. Uh, he will get released. Well, he eventually kind of learns that he's never going to leave this place. And um, the movie, I don't know if it ends with this, but the, the, as the movie is ending at the very least, he uh, kills himself essentially uh, with, with a pillow, right? Doesn't he drown himself in his pillow? No. So what happens is he gets lobotomized, um, which is a common practice that was used. And his friend, uh, chief, Chief Bromden, uh, Will Sampson, Chief, the big, like, quiet character in the movie, the, like, uh-huh. stoic, um, kind of almost caricature of a Native American, smothers him because he's, there's yeah, no life left. That's right. He's not, he's not him anymore. Um, and it's one of the most upsetting endings to a movie you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Because you see, like, you got the whole movie... Uh, Randall Patrick McMurphy is, is Jack Nicholson's character. The whole movie, Randall's like, you can see like trying, and then he like has, had, you know, has a, a fit, has an episode, you know, and he's keep trying and you keep trying. And I mean, he, he by the state standard, he, he's crazy, you know, and they reveal to him that, you know, he, he's never, never going to leave this place. And yeah, it's really, it's, we watched this together. Um, and yeah, it was tough to watch. It was tough. Mm-hmm there at the end because you feel for the character the whole time and um the famous nurse mildred ratchet um you know with a very incredible performance by louise fletcher rest in peace by the way and she just passed away actually Mm -hmm. um but yeah man it's that was tough tough watch yeah he comes in and kind of in his own weird way gives the the other patients their hope they're they're all kind of when he comes in there it's kind of the you know i guess he's the classic uh, viewpoint of of one of these films of a, of a mental hospital it's just it's it's sad it's depressing it's depressing state in there it's like lifeless everything is monochrome um and he comes in and kind of brings a little joy and takes them out even on an excursion essentially and you know there's a little bit of happiness going on there and then because of that and because of his him creating problems he gets he gets a lobotomy um and yeah essentially makes awful. him no longer who he is. So yeah, that's, that's, it's really tough. It's a really good movie. Um, won a ton of awards is widely considered to be one of the best movies of the seventies and one of the top 100 movies of all time. Um, yeah. Yeah. One best picture 1975 and it won four other Oscars as well. Uh, I believe Jack Nicholson won, uh, best actor in a leading role for this. It's one uh, of Nicholson's best performances. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, Jack Nicholson won, a, Louise Fletcher as well won actress in a leading role. So actor in a leading role, actress in a leading role, and best picture, including a couple others. So yes, mm-hmm. very, very just well done movie, but woo, very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's, that's tough. What's one of yours? Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is a movie I've mentioned briefly and told people to watch, but I didn't talk about fully. And that's 1976's Network, directed by Sidney Lumet, starring Peter Finch, Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Robert Duvall, uh, and a host of others. It is a movie that essentially the plot revolves around a veteran news anchor who announces live on air that he will be killing himself. Um, and that sparks a boost in ratings essentially and the company that that owns his network leverages this into a and essentially encourages him to become mentally unwell on the air to spike ratings um Jeez. and continue it's it's really it's a movie about sensationalism in the media um the decline of tv news uh, and almost predicts the decline of TV news and the kind of, you know, how how we treat people in society, how we view um, acts of terror and stuff. Even mm-hmm. so far as this movie, um, they the the network contracts a show with a rebel group um, that has committed acts of terrorism just in order to get views. And the end of this movie, spoiler alert. Um, the man is killed. The anchor is killed live on air at the behest of network executives for ratings because he is no Jeez. longer as exciting as he was. This movie contains some of the best monologues of any movie ever made ever. Um, I feel very confident in saying that the performances are great and it is deeply depressing because you look at that and then you can turn on cable news. And see the exact same thing that this movie was warning against, um, kind of the commodification of media by corporations and advertisers. And it's it's really tough. Um, it's just really tough to see. It, it, it's it's yeah. almost about the decline of democracy and journalism, um, which I don't think is fully declined. But I think in many aspects, especially when it comes to TV, this movie, which was made um nearly 50 years ago is very poignant so that's crazy <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those where you're watching it and you're like oh my gosh or really and then you're like yeah this is exactly like i recognize this from today like mm. I, if you watch tucker carlson you will see somebody act like this on television it's it's upsetting and it's like um, so yeah wow. it doesn't have the the ending doesn't kick you in the gut as much as one flew over the cuckoo's nest does or a movie like all quiet on the western front um but the subject matter and when you start to think about what you've just watched you just you just feel worse and worse about yourself um this is the mm. first of two lumet movies that i will be mentioning today um sydney lumet mm. great director watches stuff but man it's tough i know you haven't seen yeah. network david so this is another plea for you to watch it please yeah, uh, what is it on? Do you know? Um, it was on HBO Max when I saw it initially, uh, but that's been almost a year ago. Let me let me see. I, if I, I do know they do a pretty good job of holding on to movies. I don't know if see. it's still on there though. Um, no, it's on Prime Video right now for rent. I'm sure it'll pop on a service sometime soon okay. though. It it normally rotates, but Network really good. Recommend it. Okay. Cool. 
not cool. I guess it's sad, but interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Yeah, what do you got next? All right. Uh, my next movie I'm doing is Reservoir Dogs, uh, directed by Quentin T- Tarantino, excuse me, uh, one of his 10 films. Uh, and really, it's takes place in the first. It's his, it's his first feature length movie, too. Yeah, 1992, uh, and it's a boss robbery. And really, I, I think if not 100% of it, most of it takes place in a warehouse where they yeah. they meet back uh, at different times. And um, what group of seven, eight guys, I think it is total, uh, involved in this plan. And uh, throughout the whole movie, you know, the second guy shows up, third, fourth, fifth guy. Six guys shows up, uh, you know, and they're trying to figure out what went wrong, right? And uh, each guy is actually labeled by a color: Mr. White, Orange, uh, Mr. Blonde, I guess, Mr. Pink, um, and uh, Mr. Blue, Mr. Brown. You have these different, um, different kind of fake names, and uh, one of them turns out is actually a undercover cop. Mm-hmm. They don't know this until the end, um, but I mean, yeah, what, what makes this sad? Spoilers is that all but one of these guys die. What makes this really sad is, um, Nathan, you have to remind me what characters uh, were close, but the undercover cop, and do you remember which one he was so really close Tim, to? So Tim Roth's character, um, which is Mr. Orange, and Harvey Keitel's character, which is Mr. White, were- Mr. White, okay. You, you kind of see you have this like mentor-mentee relationship almost. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Orange, Tim Roth is the undercover cop and he has been shot. And that happens at the beginning of the movie. We only see him either in flashbacks or when he is shot in the gut. Um, and Mr. White works the entire movie to save this man only at the end to figure out he was the undercover cop that caused all of this problems. And then the final scene happens. Um, and that yeah. final scene is uh, him, him shooting his dear friend, really, uh, the undercover cop. Uh, and it's it's which, unclear which is, whether he's doing that. It, it seems like he's doing it out of a mix of anger. Um, but also, like, once he feels bad for the guy who's not going to make it. Right? Like, yeah, because he's character an hour. It's hour been bleeding out for a yeah. while. Mr. White's been yelling that he need to get him to a doctor and that there's nothing we have to. And then you see um, he just has to, he, he, he just kills him part yeah. out of mercy and part out of anger. So, yeah. Other guys, Chris Penn, uh, Steve Buscemi um, are, are in this as well. Uh, Quentin Tarantino actually is, is one of the heist members. Uh, he's, he's known for a couple times making appearances in his movies, but yeah, it's tough. Everyone but one uh, person dies and, just for the heck of it, I won't tell you who. Um, everybody, one person dies. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's like it's tough because you're kind of sitting there like, all right, I could see him being angry because he's the undercover cop, but they've gotten so close. Like, is he going to still try to save him? And you know, there's just this tough decision that has to be made. So yeah, it's a, it's a sad movie. Um, it's a short cast. There aren't many people in it. Uh, aren't many locations and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense. But um And then the most upsetting scene <laughs> that you didn't even we didn't even mention, but we should is the 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 torturing of the cop to stuck in the middle with you. Um mm. by I think it's Mr. Blonde. I for, dude, I forgot which about is, that. Which is 
I it's genuinely a, just forgot about that scene. It's a real, real tough scene to watch. Um, yeah, that's real hard. I actually can't listen to that song anymore. Are you serious? Um, yeah. Anytime I hear that song, I think about that scene and I skip the song if I can. So, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Um, Reservoir Dogs is good, though. I think it's top five Tarantino for me. So, mm. uh, my second movie that I want to talk about is Spike Lee's, it, the most recent movie that we're going to talk about here, and that is Black Klansman, um, which may sound a little weird that I want to talk about Black Klansman right now because as obviously the subject matter is heavy, um, but the tone of the movie is often light and even mocking in a certain way. This movie is making fun of the KKK. It is based on the real life, um, uh, I guess, undercover sting operation, you could say, that was run by Ron Stallworth and Flip Zimmerman, um, a black cop and a Jewish cop that infiltrated the KKK. Um, mm. And Stallworth's character, or Ron Stallworth, um, which, who is portrayed by John David Washington, and he has the voice of a, he can sound like a white guy, essentially on the phone is good at sounding like a redneck almost. And, um, Adam driver can pose as a white guy. Obviously he's flipped Zimmerman. He is white. So he can, he can pose as that. Um, and so they kind of team up, I guess, to infiltrate the KKK and kind of, uh, uncover some of their, their operations. Uh, this movie is, is as upsetting as all movies to deal with the KKK are and the fact that you have to re- reckon with the fact that these people exist um, and they're still there. But the worst and the, the toughest part about this movie is after it ends and there's a happy ending in, a, in essence, um, there's a newsreel. And then you get shown David Duke, the main antagonist of the movie, portrayed in the film by Topher Grace, speaking. At the time in in present day, essentially in like 2017, at the riot in Charlottesville, the white supremacist riot, um, and you realize that we haven't made as much progress as we should have from the late 1970s. And so this movie, I I, I wanted to talk about this or do the right thing. Um, I decided to talk about this one instead because it's a more recent movie that I think some people have seen. But if you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, watch it. Spike Lee's masterpiece, five out of five stars. Really important film. It's just... this. It's it's a movie that's upsetting like Network for the subject matter. You, you watch it and you're like, God, these are so obviously cartoon villain evil people. Like We should obviously not listen to them and hate them. And then you, th- you realize that those people are having microphones put in front of them and today even and that david duke is is still alive and preaching the same hatred that he's always preached uh we haven't moved on from this uh so yeah david what are your thoughts i know you've seen this movie yeah i watched this freshman year actually in the dorm you know how they like showed movies every once in a while on the floor oh yeah was like this they... the one they showed on the projector it, yeah like... behind the desk yeah we like watched yeah. it together and i, I was like I've never, you know, 2018 freshman year, I didn't know movies as well. I was like, I've never heard of this movie, but yeah, okay, let's do it. And uh, it was kind of tough to watch. I obviously didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, wasn't ready for this very deep subject of a movie. And um, yeah, it was tough. I, Dave, uh, I thought 
John David Washington and Adam Driver are just really good in their performances. Uh, but these movies are always, which I guess is kind of what we're talking about, but these movies are always tough of like, I mean, that was a good performance, you know? And then you're like, well, kind of start thinking about the subject of the actual, the topic of the actual movie. And you're like, I, well, I don't feel good. You know, you feel good. You feel mm-hmm. bad about yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, good job guys, but also not good job. Everybody else kind of thing. I don't know. So I, yeah, I did read I, something. Topher Grace, after portraying this, I guess said he had to do like, a year and a half cleanse from like acting he did like take like a sabbatical because this was like so he couldn't like recover from playing like david duke in this movie like it kind of messed him up you know which i just can't imagine well yeah because he's portraying a, a just a real life villain who's still alive yeah, yeah. um you know what he did in his time off what uh, he cut together. He loves to. He loves Star Wars and he loves to cut and edit movies. So he made an eighty-five minute prequel cut. Are Just of serious? all three prequel movies, he made one cut, and a lot of people are asking him to release it. Um, and he he's cut also all of the movies into a trailer as well. But I think it's really so. Yeah, that's kind of a cool story that came out of this. But yeah, I the, he, mm-hmm. Spike has got some criticism. Um, for the end of this film, not like criticism and like they don't like the subject matter, but criticism of he's kind of beating you over the head using the newsreel approach at the end to show you what's happening in present day. I think it's really effective and I like it because I watch movies like this um, and you think that like this is stuff that's in the past and Spike wants to make it clear that this is still a problem. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these movies are period pieces, so it's easy to kind of put distance from yourself and the events and be like, wow, it was really messed up back then. And I think Spike did that intentionally to confront you with the fact that, no, it's messed up now. That's messed up today, mm. um, which I think was really important and really impactful. Um, so yeah, Black Klansman, uh, really good movie and, and really powerful movie. So uh, that was my s- second pick. David, your last pick here. What do you got? My last pick in... A pick that's actually on my top 20 movies list uh, is No Country for Old Men, uh, mm-hmm. 20, 2007 movie directed by the Coen brothers, uh, starring Josh Brolin, Javier Bordem, Tommy Lee Jones, Kelly McDonald, Woody Harrelson, uh, and a group of others. Um, yeah, this is about a serial killer. Uh, Llewellyn Moss stumbles upon some dead bodies and a uh, briefcase full of money and a horde of heroin and uh, in Texas. And um, I don't know why, but he picks it up. But hey, if he doesn't, there's no movie. So mm-hmm. uh, and, and from that comes comes a, an entire thing. Um, but yeah, Javier Bardem is the uh, serial killer in this. And um, actually, a bunch of like psychologists and, and stuff have done studies, like the most realistic serial killer ever portrayed in a movie. And they actually uh, agreed that Javier Bardem's um, portrayal of Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men is actually the most realistic serial killer portrayed on screen. Um, and yeah, he uh, this, this is depressing movie not only because of that but it actually ends with him just slowly like walking away after uh after being in a horrific car wreck where you think he's gonna get his comeuppance and he doesn't nope he uh he 
asks for a, the shirt off the kid's back, and he just limps off. And you know, it, it is shown that like, all right, he was never caught. And uh, his weapon of choice, which is crazy, was like the cattle prod. Like the he, he tied it to a CO2 tank or an oxygen tank, and all it does is it, you know, you put the rod on the cattle, and you put it, and the, the pressure throws the bar right into the into the, head. into your brain. And that yeah, you. he used that on people, and it's it's disturbing. It's a dark, it's a dark watch. And Tommy Lee Jones has a really cool. Uh, um, part there at the very end where he's kind of speaking and just reflecting. Um, and it's, it's probably like a three or four minute scene of him just reflecting in, in his monologue there. And it's really good. A really sad ending, but yeah, this movie is very, very depressing. I, uh, I, I naturally, I think I like darker movies for some reason more. And I don't think I realized how dark this movie was. And I showed my, I watched this with my parents and they were like, David, are you good? Like that was really depressing. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm okay. I promise. But yeah, no country for old men. Uh, this one best picture as well, actually in 2007. And, uh, it's won three other Oscars as well. So uh, you've seen mm-hmm. this, correct, Nathan? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, multiple times actually. Um, this is really good. Uh, Javier Bardem is, it's one of the best villain performances ever. Uh, yeah, the movie's bleak. Um, even down to the color palette, you just think of the color palette of this movie. There's no vibrancy in this film at all. Um, it's it's really dark and bleak. One, an interesting little bit of trivia that doesn't really relate to this conversation that I want to say. Um, this movie and There Will Be Blood were being filmed at the exact same time in the same town in Texas. Are you and serious? they had to delay shooting for no country because of the smoke coming from the oil derrick explosion in there will be blood another movie that could have been featured on this list um quite honestly but I actually, we've talked I about, about it. it we've talked about it at length um, yeah. but yeah so they had to delay shooting of this because they were so close they were in such close proximity that the smoke from there will be blood set could be seen on the no country for old men set um insane that those two movies were being filmed at the same time then came out in the same year um and I per- I still personally prefer There Will Be Blood to No Country, but I have no qualms with this movie winning Best Picture. Um, it's mm-hmm. one of the best movies of the 21st century, that's for sure. Also, I think I I might have seen it wrong. It it says Best Motion Picture of the Year. It's Best Picture. Okay. Motion Picture is a movie dog. It's just mo. It's a picture in motion. That's what movies are. Well, I was wondering because then I was like, wait, what did I see on One Flew of the Cuckoo's Next? And it just says Best Picture. So I wonder if they changed the title maybe. At some yeah, point to make something. it. I don't know. Yeah, it's more accurate. Thing. Yeah. But someone definitely said, that's not a picture. And they're like, oh my gosh, I guess we'll change it. Best motion picture. Yeah. Um, um, also, if, if you like the story of this um, or one of those books before movie people, this is based on a Cormac McCarthy novel written in 2005. Mm. Um, that's yeah, also this, really good, but different from the movie. So, yeah, this one is. Well, I guess they're all like I was, I'm looking at my list. I'm like these are all. I mean, one flew over the cuckoo's nest isn't violent, but no country and reservoir dogs are just very violent, like sad movies, um, kind of mm-hmm. bloody. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this is another one that's. If you don't like gore and it, it's it's dark, again, this one may not be for you. Yeah, they're movies that don't stylize their violence either, um, which is. Which is a, a choice for sure um, that, yeah. that really, 
I guess makes the punch hit harder. Um, my last film is the uh, the other Sidney Lumet film that I hinted at, and that is Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Al Pacino, John Cazale um, came out in 1975, uh, the same year as One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, actually ran against One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest uh, for Best Picture um, and won Best Screenplay. Uh, this is a real life biographical story about, um, uh, two guys performing a heist in Brooklyn. Um, and they are the sympathetic figures in this film as weird as that seems. Um, so, uh, Sonny, the, the character portrayed by Al Pacino is a clearly, um, disturbed, mentally disturbed man who has his heart in a good place. Um, and it, I'm, remembering correctly he's also a veteran uh, i think of of vietnam as well and kind of is carrying some of that baggage and his friend quiet friend sal um or they, they try to rob a bank um then this ends up being a hostage situation but it's very clear from what we see from sunny he just wants the money and he is not trying to to hurt anyone uh they kind of screw up Essentially, they, they show up at the wrong time. There's not enough cash in there to be life-changing money, and they get the, this police standoff, and the police are trying to trick them um, into coming out. Sonny obviously bluffs, says he's going to kill the hostages, but he never... Ne- we know he's never going to do that. And it's just... it's it, You just see how a person could be driven to this sort of extreme, but the Pacino's portrayal of this man who is also later revealed to us is is a is a gay man as well who suffers from i think split personality multiple personality disorder um and is a cast off really of society is what we're shown and especially in the 70s you know, in which this there obviously the world was less accepting not that it's greatly accepting right now um but he he He's trying to do his best in a bad situation. Um, and it seems like he's going to get kind of a happy ending. We get the whole, he gets driven out to, to the airport um, to get on a plane. The hostages are kind of on his side. They almost want him to get the money. They want him to get away with it. Um, and I don't want to spoil the end for people that haven't seen this movie. Uh, but it's just, it's a movie that makes you think about what we do with people in society and how we don't properly prepare some people to re-enter society and how we treat those that are different, um, which sounds like a really cliche thing, but um, I, this is one of the most down-to-earth and honest portrayals I've ever seen in a movie of this caliber. Um, Pacino is fantastic. I mean, fantastic in this. Uh, I would, right. right. I would argue that he's maybe better in this than he is in the Godfather movies, uh, which is, it, it's very steep, but again, he is Even so good in this one? film. Even even part two, um, which is really his film. Uh, it It's a movie that's in the Library of Congress for a reason. Uh, I, I just, Lumet's fantastic director. Um, it's not a fun watch. It, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't know what it was about. I watched it for heist movie purposes. I'm a big heist movie guy. And mm-hmm. man, I didn't feel, I didn't feel good afterwards, but it, it's really good. Um, you were like crying. You're like, wait, why did I watch this movie again? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, the end is the end is just so depressing. Um, and 
yeah, I, I would, I, again, I would recommend people watch this, um, but it's not one that left me with joy. Uh, David, you have not seen this film, correct? Correct. I looked and it's, it's the button has been clicked on Letterboxd, like on my watch list. It's just, I haven't seen it or looked. I got it. it I got like a hundred movies on my watch list though. So don't feel bad about yeah. it. But I, I would yeah. encourage and encourage people to, to seek this out. Um, Bro, you should probably the greatest heist movie of all time without being like a fun heist movie, if that makes sense. Really, like more than Ocean's Eleven or Heat or yeah. Ah, okay, it's not better than Heat. I was gonna say, bro, you nothing is better than Heat. Nothing is. Heat's one of my five favorite. Like, come on, but yeah, it's not. Why haven't you made like you need to make a list of your favorite heist movies? You've seen so many at this point. I do. We should honestly just do. We need a new heist movie to come out, and I'll just make a heist. We should just make a heist episode. I'm a big heist movie me. guy. That's so one many. of the like, that's one of the three like subgenres where if you're like, this is a heist movie, I'm like, okay, like it's not even that good. Don't care. Go heist watch movie it. Ben Affleck. I will do. I will sell everything to watch that. To see okay. Ben Affleck. Everything. In Why are you saying Affleck? He's not the duck. It's Affleck. E. I think you the heard E C K. You said Affleck. We'll okay, let the, the viewers the, decide. Tweet at David Dirks if he says Affleck instead of Affleck. Hmm. Hmm. Plead the fifth. Okay. Fifth Amendment. That's what I was meaning when I said that. Plead the fifth. Everybody, um, everybody, everybody got that. What Were there a couple on the list? Were there a couple not on the list that you were thinking about adding? Um, yeah. Uh, horror movies. Um. I was Mids- thinking, I'm like, but Midsommar you- is is up there for a movie that is good, but I don't feel good after watching it. Um, as I as I mentioned, There Will Be Blood was another movie that I considered. I also was thinking the last 45 minutes of Goodfellas really don't make you feel good, but the first two hours of Goodfellas are so much fun that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's bad, but I don't know that movie necessarily makes me feel bad when I watch it. Uh, Black Swan was another one that I considered as well. Yeah. David, what about you? Did you have any that were close? I saw a bunch of horror movies, but I was like, okay, I keep seeing every horror movie and they all are the same. So I was like, I, I just want to, I won't add horror movies. I was like, oh yeah, Hereditary, Midsommar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, of course, we mentioned Saving Private Ryan. Um that while not may not have like a sad ending per se, it's just the most depressing and gory movie you'll watch. But I think some for me, uh, Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. And for your sake, we won't. I won't explain why. So if you haven't seen it, just watch it. Um, mm-hmm. Gladiator. Mm. That one. That one's tough. I Am Legend, yeah. classic. Uh, oh gosh, not the I Am Legend. And then, again. like. Nightcrawler, that one just doesn't make you feel good. Like Nightcrawler was a good one. Like I just feel. I would say Nightcrawler and Network are in the same vein. Um, They're attacking the Mm. same point. Um, So if you liked Nightcrawler and kind of really resonated with the message that Nightcrawler sends, then Network will be right up your alley. Nightcrawler's so good. I'm still upset that Jake Gyllenhaal didn't win an Oscar for that. Didn't even get nominated. That's the thing. I mean, they don't always pick the right winner, but to not get a nomination out of him. uh, Oh, Gone Girl. Gone Girl was very close. Gone Girl is is another movie that... um, Really, you could just do almost all Fincher 
Uh, seven is the same way. Um, Zodiac, yeah. Zodiac as well. He just uh, has depressing. Gone, Gone Girl specifically is just like, there's almost no redeemable characters in Gone Girl besides um, Margot. Uh, Nick Dunn's twin sister is the only one that seems like to be good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Was, oh, I had Shutter Island too. That mm, one's sad. Yeah. Like, Shutter think, Island's tough. He's like, oh, yeah, finally. Nope. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of a depressing episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe next week we'll talk about, you know what? Let's just topic right now. We'll just do like movies that we're thankful for. Three favorite movies that have the sun in them. Okay. The sun sure. means good, like, right? No. Okay. Yeah. Ex- unless you're talking about like, what's the, isn't there a Danny Boyle horror movie where the sun like attacks them? Are you serious? Ah, it's called Sunshine. Yeah, I'm so freaking smart. Apparently, it's all uh, practical <laughs> effects too. Yeah, yeah, they actually flew right up next to the sun to film. <laughs> Very oh. hot production. I like that. Three movies we're thankful for, and it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, look at that. Because we could talk about are... Thanksgiving movies, but then we would just be talking about the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and nothing else. Because I can't think of another Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> And then Ben Rector would come up because he's the first artist of all time to write a Thanksgiving song. And then we'd, you'd just, we'd just be depressed. We'd run out of if, stuff to talk about. If I have to talk about Ben Rector, I'm going to be more depressed than I am in this episode. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Heck no. Hey, but don't be sad, right? You got Thanksgiving next week, people. And Christmas is here, right? Christmas is almost here with the hot chocolate or the eggnog, whatever you prefer, and the family. Yeah, because people, and there's the never been any, feasts. there's never been a documented wave of depression that shows up around the holidays. That's definitely not something that statistics have shown in recent years. I'm trying to help Nathan. I'm doing the best I can, man. I'm doing the best <laughs> I can. Um, you'll be able to eat uh, that Thursday, not this coming Thursday, next Thursday is the one day of year where you can eat as much as you want without impunity. Mm. Nobody can say anything because Amen. that's what you're supposed to do. That's what that day is all about. All right. It is so the funny. eating Super Bowl of the year. It is the world championships of eating yeah. and you're going to win. Okay. So stuff that plate. Learn to stack. Let's go. I'm ready. I've been training. All right. I've already had a Friendsgiving. I'm going to have another one and I'm going to train. Let's I'm going to eat. Hey. This has okay, been episode we, we 50. Really went off the rails. Of what do you want to watch? We've been talking about All Quiet on the Western Front and some sad movies, but we are no longer sad because we have so many good things to look forward to. Mashed potatoes, mac and You've cheese. You've been listening to it. We've been talking about it. We'll see y'all later. And I won't say Happy Thanksgiving because we'll see you again before then. Bye. Green bean casserole slaps. And turkey.